Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read verses 30 and 31. And then, if you would also prepare yourself at Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. And we'll probably read verses 9 through 21 there, I imagine. But we're going to look, we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to jump over into the book of Joshua and read a little bit about what's mentioned in this great hall of faith. Here's what your Bible says Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 30. The Bible says, By faith the wall of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab. Perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. Don't you love what faith does in a person's life? There's canceling power in uh, uh, faith that's placed in the God of heaven. In Rahab's life, her faith canceled out her past. You'll notice here she's called the harlot Rahab. Get over there in Matthew chapter 1, she's not... Up in heaven, that's not as she is known. Aren't you glad that when you get saved, your past gets canceled out and God makes you something else? Uh, But her faith also, it cancels out her perishing. Do you see what the Bible says? She perished not with them that believe not. Now, I'm going to come back to that. That's what I'm interested in this morning. But also her faith canceled out her partnerships. She received the spies with peace. Uh, Aren't you glad? Hey, don't you know that once you get saved, faith takes you out of that old crowd and he puts you in a new crowd. And now she's hanging with people she never would have hung with before. I mean, think about if it was not for faith in the life of Rahab, a woman labeled a harlot, she would have been the, the kind of men she would have been associated with living that kind of lifestyle. But now she'd be associated with Joshua. The man who saved her life. She'd be associated with Solomon, the man who shared his life by becoming her husband. She'd be associated with Jesus, the man that substituted his life for hers, as she's mentioned in his lineage in Matthew chapter 1. I'm glad for what faith did in the life of Rahab, because it's the same faith working in my life. And the same faith she had that worked in hers is the same faith that I have that can work in mine. The canceling power of faith. Well, I'm interested a little bit in that second portion we mentioned how it canceled out her perishing. Because you know that had it not been for her faith, she would have perished. She would have perished in her sinfulness, a slow chipping away at the human body as the effects of sin take their toll. Some of you are still still bearing the effects of sinfulness on your body before you came to a place of faith and trust in Christ. Oh, it's a, it's a heavy price sin makes you pay. The perishing of sinfulness, it eats away at you. And eventually sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's where she was headed. That's what she was saved out of. That This perishing was not only a perishing of sinfulness, it was a perishing of the sword that she avoided. You see, she was living in Jericho, and everyone in Jericho is going to get killed. Everyone in Jericho is going to die. And had she not come to Christ, uh, she would have been doomed to the sword like everyone else. But she's not, because she had faith in the God of Israel. This perishing would also be a perishing of separation, a second death perishing. If Rahab had died with all the others in Jericho, she would have died and gone to an eternal devil's hell. That's where she would have ended up. She would have perished. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. She, Hey, her faith canceled out her perishing. 
Now, this morning, I'm interested in her testimony. Don't you love hearing somebody's testimony? My favorite thing to talk about is to find out about how somebody else got saved. What faith has done in their life. And I'm interested in this uh, character of the Bible, this heroine of the faith. And I want to see what her testimony is like. So look with me, if you would, in Joshua chapter 2. And we'll read what's being alluded to in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And so we'll come to Joshua chapter 2 and look at verse number 9. Now you know what's happened thus far, don't you? You remember Joshua's got that new generation. And you know that that he's taking that new generation and they're getting ready to cross Jordan River. But before they do, he's going to send two spies into Jericho. You notice he, he just went ahead and forgot about the other ten. Amen. Last time, out of twelve, they only got two. He said, let's just skip the ten and go straight to two this time. Amen. And so let's send in two to Jericho. And, and let's spy out the land. And so those two go in and their intentions are discovered. Do you remember that? Okay. And so they're lodging in the house of Rahab. And the king's men come for them. And she hides them up on the roof. Do you remember that? Is Sunday school all coming back up to you? And so once they go away, because she's not afraid of the king. Not the king of this world anyways. She's more interested now in what the king of heaven thinks of her and what the people of God think of her. She's now associating herself with a new crowd, you see. And so what we're about to read is the conversation they have. After the king's men leave and before the spies flee the city, this is the conversation that went on. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. She started to know some things. Were there some things before you got saved that you didn't know that you needed to know in order to make that decision for Christ, in order to put your faith and trust in Him? She said, I know some things now that I didn't know before. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now, now here it is. Here's her testimony. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Isn't that how it happened in your salvation testimony? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. She heard some things and it helped her to realize some things that she did not previously know. But it's not enough just to hear, is it? Look at verse number 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Did it work like that for you? That when you heard you were a sinner. That when you heard that if you died in your sins, you'd go to hell. There was something in your heart that melted. A conscience in your heart. The Holy Spirit of God began to draw you and to say, that's true and you need to listen to that. And you ought to you ought to repent and, and follow. That's how it happened in Rahab's life just the same. Look what the Bible says. Our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... Now hold on. After she heard something and her heart melted because of what she heard, her conscience being convicted, now she's going to uh, uh, verbalize what she believes and she is going to confess some things. says, The Lord your God, He is God. In heaven above and in earth beneath. Now that... Isn't that how it worked for you? 
Doesn't the Bible say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be, what church? Safe. And so she believed in her heart and she confessed with her mouth what she believed. And now guess what? Rahab's saved. She's saved. You'll see her when you get to heaven. Okay, I don't care how you want to dispensationalize a million different things in these passages and whatnot. She's saved. And she's going to be in heaven same place you are. Well, that made me feel better to say. Well, the Bible says. The Bible says, now therefore I pray you. This is what she asks for. She says, I'm going to ask you for something. And can I tell you what she's asking for? Post-salvation, you and I ought to ask God for this morning. You and I need as blood-bought believers. Well, the Bible says, therefore, now therefore I pray you. Swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my Father's house, and give me a true token. Now, 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 listen, there's all kinds of tokens of this and that, especially when you get out on an Indian reservation. Especially when you get in false religion. Right? They say, well, wear, wear a bear claw. It's a token of strength and courage. I've seen plenty of sissies wearing bear claws. They say, you wear your turquoise and it'll keep you happy and healthy. And every time I've got a cold, I'll tell them, my turquoise isn't working for me today. Amen. All kinds of tokens. She said, I want, a tr- I want a token that means something. I want you to give me something that'll give me assurance of what I've put my faith in. That when I look at it, I can be reminded of the part I've now taken, you see. And so here's what she said uh, in verse number 13. Here's the response. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours. That's the cost of your salvation with somebody else's life. Amen. It always works that way. It says, and if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be... That's how you know she wasn't a Baptist, because she didn't utter their business. Amen. Mm. Well. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them down by a cord through the window. Verse number 15. And then she let them down by a what, church? Mm, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in that cord. Who the Bible says, through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there. How many days? Three days. Until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Uh, behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet, what church? Thread. I'm interested in that. In the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. By the way, if you're in a Christian home, a home that has the blood of Jesus applied, that's the safest place you can be. Amen. Don't ever rebel against a, a home that's been blood bought, that's been blood washed, that's put their faith and trust in Christ. I, I, I wonder, uh, the rest of her family may have been looking out and thinking, man, nobody else is siding up with these people. Nobody else is hanging out a scarlet thread. But boy, I bet you they were glad that she did when the walls came tumbling down. 
Uh, and whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of, uh, of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. What verse are we on, church family? 21. You with me? Amen. Here we go. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet, what church family? I'm interested in that. In the window. And they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So what's she asking for? And what did they give her? They gave her a token of her faith. A token of her salvation. And what was it that they gave her? They gave her a scarlet line, a thread, a cord. And so since Rahab's salvation is the salvation I've got, and since the faith that Rahab has is the faith that I've got, then perhaps the token that was given to Rahab could be a token to me too. And it might represent my salvation just as well. You okay with that? I mean, it's pretty easy to see salvation in that scarlet thread, isn't it? Its hue, its color speaks to us of the blood of Christ, does it not? That was shed on the cross. It's hanging. The way it was suspended between heaven and earth speaks to us of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How His body was suspended uh, between heaven and earth when He died on the cross. Uh, uh, Not only its color, its hue. Not only its hanging, how it was suspended between heaven and earth. But also its hiding speaks to us of the intercession of Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean? You see, there's going to be... You do understand, folks, that after she made this commitment... uh, Joshua didn't show up the next day. You do understand these fellows went and hid in the mountains three days. And then however long it took them to get back to Joshua. And then however long it took them to get organized. And and you remember uh, uh, in the following chapters, they've got to come across Jordan River. You remember this? And God's going to part the Jordan River. And He's going to magnify Joshua in the eyes of the people like He did with Moses. They've still got to do all that. They've still got to take 12 stones. So that in generations to come, the children will say, what mean these stones? And they got to set them all up. they got to get everybody organized. And he's going to get his incredible battle plan from God. And then they've got to make their way all the way to Jericho. Are you catching this? I'm telling you, she, uh, she got saved, but she did not see the complete fulfillment of that promise until much later. You know what? I'm waiting for the complete fulfillment of the promise. I'm waiting for my Savior to come back for me. And, and I'll tell you this, along the way, I imagine, here she is, she's in the house living on the wall. You remember that? She can't, from her vantage, as she's going about the day, she can't always see that scarlet line. Uh, She's not looking at it every second of the day. But I imagine that there may have been some days where she's thinking, when are those boys showing up? Did I make the right choice? Have I endangered my family? Have I taken part on the wrong side? I mean, I put my faith, all that I've heard about this God in Israel, and I wonder if every now and then she went over and she just checked at the window. Yeah, it's still there. Every time she got a little bit worried about the future, her family, and the decision she made, she just went over and, yeah, it's still just like, just like they told me to. Hmm? And you know what? I can't always see what Jesus is doing, but I know this. I know He's interceding for me. I know He's at work in my life. And one day I will see Him. He will show up, and He will uh, once and for all win the victory. Well, 
When the Bible begins to talk about this picture of our salvation, this token of our salvation, it uses three descriptions. I pointed them out to you. Did you catch that? The Bible in verse number 15, did you see it? The Bible calls it a cord. In verse number 18, calls it a thread. In verse 21, calls it a line. Now, what on earth is God trying to teach me about my salvation? We're talking about the same thing, but He's using different words. You do believe that every word of your Bible is inspired, don't you? And that, that, that it fits together like a perfect puzzle, don't you? So there may, there may just be something in, in a cord, a thread, and a line that God wants me to know about my salvation this morning. And so that's what I want to look at. Number one, I want to look at that cord. I stopped and thought, I thought, Lord, what are you trying to teach me about my salvation in accord? And, and I, so I went to, I went to my concordance because, you know, if you're a res boy, you have to look up stuff in the concordance. You don't just know it all. I don't know if it's like that in Alabama or not, but I, I have to read a lot of stuff. And so I got to looking, you know, you know what I found out? Accord is, it's a rope, especially twisted. Hmm? It's not a single stranded rope, it's a rope especially twisted. And then, of course, you get to thinking about a cord. Your mind kind of wanders over the book of Ecclesiastes, Brother Uriah. That's where he's reading this morning at breakfast. And you know what it gets you thinking about? How the Bible says, If one prevails against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think, you know what, Lord? I think maybe what you want me to see is the strength of my salvation. Just how strong a salvation it is that I have. And I got to thinking, what's all twisted up in my salvation that makes it so strong? And 1 John 5, 7 answered my question. He says, there are three... There, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, especially twisted, wrapped up in my salvation. The Father who sent His Son. The Holy Spirit of God uh, uh, who seals us when we receive that Son. Hey, they're all twisted up. That's a strong salvation. All three parts of the Godhead. I'm glad I've got a good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I'm glad I've got a Holy Spirit that goes and sweeps and convicts me of sin and finds me in the dust. I'm glad I've got a Heavenly Father that's willing to greet me if I'm willing to leave the pig pen and the far country and He's willing to receive me. That's a strong salvation. Say, how strong is it? Just about as strong as you need it to be. Just about as strong as you need it to be to pull you back up from out of wherever it is you are. Or wherever it is you were. I've not found, hey listen, I've not found a sinner laden so heavy with sin that the court of salvation could not bring him up. Come on out to the reservation. And listen to the testimonies of these sweet people. And you'll see, man, it must have taken a strong salvation to pull that drunk out of the gutter and to pull that woman out of the harlot house and to pull up that little damaged life. What a strong salvation. I was in Ohio the other day. Ohio. They're they're different up there. And sweet people, sweet people love the Lord just, you know, greatly lacking in white gravy. That was my main takeaway from Ohio. No white gravy to be found to any place. White gravy is good for you. I think, it, I, think it, I think it's the cure for arthritis, amen? Or at least that's a rumor I'm going to start pushing so I can get more of it, okay? That stuff's good. I'd put a 44 Big Gulp in my shirt pocket and slurp on it all day if I could. I like white gravy. If you found somebody you didn't like 
or that I didn't like and put white gravy on them, I'd like them because they had the white gravy on them. Amen. That's how much I like white gravy. But as I was in that gravyless, barren wasteland, <laughs> I went to this good church. And I told you, I like to hear people's testimony. I like to hear about how God saved the soul. And this fellow walks up to me first thing. I mean, as soon as I walk in, he comes up. He says, well, hello, Brother Haynes. It is so great to have you today. My name's Brother Bill. Not that one. Amen. All right. It was a different Brother Bill. He, he, he says, and I'd like to tell you my testimony. And I said, well, I'd like to hear it. And he started telling me, he says, I'm the co-pastor here. He said, we're in a transition. I'm going to be taking over the pastor. I said, oh, that's wonderful. So tell me your testimony. He said, when I first came to this church, I was an atheist and a gay rights activist. And I said, well, what were you doing here? And he said, chasing a girl. A gay rights activist, chasing a girl. I wasn't going to try to figure it out in the moment. <laughs> but that's what he said. And I said, what girl were you chasing? He said, the pastor's daughter. And, and, and he said, this is what she told me. She said, I'll talk to you in between Sunday school and preaching service. That's the only time we'll talk. We won't call. We won't text. We won't meet any other time. But we'll meet in that 10, 15 minute window right between Sunday school and preaching service. And he said, so you know what? I was there Sunday school and I was there preaching service. He said, I sat through those services and I thought that guy, was a, her dad was the biggest fool I'd ever heard in my life. And he said, but a few months went by. And he said, it started getting to me. And he said, he said, pretty soon I found myself coming back on Sunday night. Pretty soon I found myself coming back on Wednesday night. And he said, six months went by. And he said, on a Sunday morning, I walked down the aisle and I received Christ as my Savior. And they sent me off to Bible college and brought me back. And he said, I married that pastor's daughter. And I'm getting ready to pastor this church. You say, what is that? That's a strong salvation. Strong enough to reach anybody, any place, no matter how far they've gone. It's a strong salvation. I see that in that cord. But, I, but, but now, there's a second mention. You saw it. We've got a cord and we've got a thread. Now, I went to scratching my head on this one. I said, all right, Lord, this could be a good sermon if you'll cooperate with me. And give me the information that I need. And so, I, I was trying to go all these different angles. And you know what? I, I, I went back to that law of first mention. You remember the first time the word thread's mentioned in the Bible? It's Genesis 14.23. I know because I looked for it and I wrote it in my notes. It is. Genesis 14, 23. And it's right after Abram put the whooping on those fellows to come and save Lot. You remember that? And he comes back to the king of Sodom and the king of Sodom says, Here, you keep the goods and I'll keep the people. The de- listen, the devil's interested in souls. I wish, I, uh, listen, I wish God's people were as interested in souls as the devil is. He said, you can keep the goods. What's funny is, I mean, Sodom had the goods. Lot had the goods. Uh, uh, the fellows that Abram whooped, they had the goods. Seemed like the goods of this world was never doing anybody any good. Hmm? And so they get over there and, and he says, here, Abram, you can keep all the goods. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, let me make this real simple. I don't want to shoe latch it. Uh, here, I'll break it down as simple as I can. I don't want a thread from you lest you say you've made Abraham rich he, he said no 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 no. I want everybody to know where my salvation is I don't want so much as a thread from you and I got to thinking you know not everybody has hands big enough to grab a big fat cord 
But any little old hand can grab a little thread. Why? Because it's just simple. And I sure am glad that salvation is simple enough that the little hands and the little minds of these children can still come down to an altar and accept Christ as their Savior. Hey, I'm glad salvation's not as complicated as false religion would have it be. Or some of these folks that, well, you can't get saved till you're 12. Read your Bible, man. Come on. It's just a thread. My boys, listen, I've got five boys still in the market for a girl. None of y'all have given me one. That's why I keep coming back. Amen. Now listen, I've got five boys. None of them know how to sew. But they each know how to pull apart something that's got a thread in it. I've seen plenty of times. I said, love, what happened to my sock? What happened to this shirt? I I can't go out in one of these midriff things. Amen. That's inappropriate for a pastor. Uh, You know, I've seen it where they've tried to grab something that was too big for their little hands. But I've also seen how a little thread catches the eye of a child. And they can grab a hold of that and just start pulling. They don't know how it's all woven together. But they don't have to. They just have to keep grabbing at that thread. Well, they don't understand, Brother Joel. Did you understand everything about salvation when you got saved? Come on, you didn't understand the philosophical and the theological implications of everything that was going on in your heart. All you knew was, I'm a sinner. And if I had an, I need Jesus. And I've got to repent of my sin. And if I don't, I'll die and go to hell. And I don't want to go there, I want to go to heaven. That's all you need to know. Rest can come later. He didn't know how it was all woven together. Just needed a thread. I'm glad. It's simple. It's simple enough. Doesn't matter what your education level is. You can grab a hold of it. It doesn't matter. The hand of the ignorant and the uneducated. Hey, don't be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? You come visit our church. Man, I met three-fourths. Maybe more than that of our men have never graduated elementary school. Much less a high school diploma. But you're not going to convince me some of those fellows aren't saved. I'd question your salvation before I'd question some of those dusty old fellows. I really would. They grabbed a hold of that. I'm glad it's simple. Hey, it's a strong cord. That shows us the strength of our salvation. It's a thread. It shows us the simplicity of salvation. Hey, my dad was nine years old when he got saved. I feel like just going ahead and driving this home. My dad was nine years old when he got saved. My mother was seven years old when she got saved. My sister Tirza was about four or five years old when she got saved. I was about four or five years old when I got saved. And I'm telling you this, I'm just as saved as anybody else in the building. Well, these junior churches and running these buses, you keep running them. And you keep bringing them in. You keep loving on them. They get saved. And they get saved out of any home you bring them in from. I'm feeling better already. Number three. By the way, can I just let you in on this? Rahab didn't understand everything about her salvation. She didn't know how it was going to work out, Brother Ben. I wonder if she shook a little bit when she saw the battle plan unfolding before her eyes. Uh, come on. She's standing there by the window and she's going, oh, oh, yes, they're here. All right, guys, get ready, get ready, get ready. And then that day comes, what are they doing? <laughs> she's thinking, hmm. Uh, come on. The, the Bible's real, isn't it? These are real people. What are you going to be thinking if they're just marching around? And, and then folks begin to mock them. That fear just seems to dissipate. Hmm? And they begin to mock them from the wall. And I wonder if she's sitting there thinking, man, this just doesn't make sense. 
There's some, there, hey, listen, there's some things that didn't make sense to me when I got saved, but I just believed it because the Bible said so. And the further you go along and the more you see God do, He reveals it to you. It makes more sense. I'm telling you, Rahab didn't get it all figured out. She didn't know. But I'll tell you what she did know was enough to save her and her family. And then thirdly, the Bible calls it a cord. It's strong. Calls it a thread. It's simple. Calls it a line. Now, that's a nautical term, isn't it? Uh, Come on, if a man's overboard and he's going down, he's in trouble, he's going to say, throw me a, a line. I need a life rope. I need somebody to pull me in. And don't you remember that's where you were before you got saved? Man overboard, woman overboard, being tossed to and fro by the waves of sin. And God sent somebody by your way. And they saw that you needed a line. And they threw you a crimson line and said, Believe on Jesus. And they pulled you to the old ship of Zion. But you know what I see about that line? You see, that line gives security to someone who's not secure, whose safety is not secure. But you know, once, once you get them up on the boat, you know what a lot of those fellows used to do in a bad storm? They'd tie, a, they'd tie a line around their waist. Climb up high, tie a line on themselves. You know what they'd do with cargo on those old ships? They'd fasten them down with a line. So that no matter how hard the winds blew, and no matter how hard the waves crashed against the bark of that vessel, it didn't matter. They were fastened down with a line. And so to that I say, go ahead and blow winds of the world. And go ahead and crash uh, waves of trouble and heartache upon the bark of the old ship of Zion. But I'm fastened down. And I know in whom I have believed. And I've got a scarlet line. I'm checking it over this morning. I'm saved. And there's no unsaving me. I think God wants us to see the security of our salvation in that line. Your salvation, listen, it's eternally secured. Remember what said in Hebrews 5? said that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Listen, that's not the quality of it. That's the quantity of it. It's secure always. There's enough security to secure any soul, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl that would reach out and grab that thread, grab that cord, and be fastened down with that lifeline. It's eternal. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my, fa- my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses ladies come visit me when I was in Bible college. A couple of Hispanic gals. And they knocked on my door at the Pecan Square Apartments. And uh, I was awake. That was one of the few times in Bible college when I could say that. I was awake. And I opened the door, and they asked me a question. They said, are you one of the elect? And I said, I think so. And they said, well, well, how do you know you're one of the elect? And I read them that verse. I said, you know, I got saved. This is what I did. And I started to witness to them. And I said, I'm in Jesus' hand, and, 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 and the Father's hand's over His hand. And I said, I feel pretty secure there. And this is what this lady said to me. No kidding you. She goes, well, are you sure you could stay in that hand? And I said, do you know anybody that's strong enough to get me out? Hmm? And she said, well, well, no, there's probably no way someone else could. But she said, you know, you could jump out of his hand. And I thought, what a stupid idea. Like, who would really want to do that, right? But, but, you know, as I pondered on that, I thought, you know, I need to play along with that thought. 
What if I wanted to jump out of God's hand? You know what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah? It says that God holds all the waters of the hydrosphere in the hollow of His hand. Now think about your frame in relation to all the bodies of water in all the world and then add all of the evaporated water, put it all in one, and know that, that all of that fits in the tiny little hollow of His hand. And consider yourself in relation to that. I thought even if I wanted to, that's a pretty big hand. Even if I wanted to jump out, I don't think I'd ever find the edge. I think I could walk around for all eternity looking for the edge, and I don't think I'd ever find it because that's a big hand. Hey, hold on. You know, I got to thinking about this over in Ephesians. The Bible says, I'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Isaiah also said that I'm graven in the palm of his hand. I I thought, you can't jump out of something you're a part of. And I'll tell you this, when I got saved, I got in Christ. There's no jumping out. As long as the head's above water, I'm going to be okay. And Jesus is my head. So I think we're going to be fine. Well, I'm going to heaven and I can't help it. That may not excite you, but it does me. There's no mistake in it. And I've got a true token to remind me of that every once in a while. And I can just imagine it like this. I can imagine those folks, and, and I, I, I'm bringing her in. I'm bringing her in. You ready? I can imagine those fellows there marching around. The children of Israel are marching around. And they, as they're going around that wall, they're, they're saying, man, that one's going down. And that one's going down. And that one's going to fall. And that one's going to fall. And then they'd come to Rahab's part. And they'd go, oh, but not that one. That one's one of ours. And that one's going down, and that one's going down. And you know, I just got to thinking about the the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. How he walks to and fro in this earth and says, I'm destroying that one, and I'm taking that soul to hell. And I'm going to wreck that marriage. And I'm going to wreck that family. And I'm going to drag them into the lake of fire. Oh, I can't take that one. Uh, uh, That one's one of His. Uh, And I'm just excited this morning to know this, that no matter what comes and no matter what happens, hey, I am saved and I know it. Now let me ask you a question. Here's our application. Do you know it? Do you know for sure if you died that you'd go to heaven? If not, you need the salvation that this represents. You need it this morning. Listen to me, the wind will blow and the waves will crash and hard times are coming. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You can't be good enough to get out of a storm. The sun shines on the evil and the good. You can't be good enough to get out of the scorching heat of this world and its circumstances. Listen to me, I'm just asking this morning, are you saved? Is there a scarlet line hanging from your heart's window? Or will you crumble and fall and end up in a devil's hell? You don't have to this morning. However bad it is you think you are, it's a cord. And you are not too far gone. It's long enough. It's strong enough that God could pour you out and save your soul. Well, I think I'll just come to church a while. I think I need to understand more. Understand what? There's plenty of time to learn the Bible. But if you know enough right now, That you're lost and undone. And if you died, you'd go to a devil's hell. What more do you need to know? Grab onto the thread. You need a line. Tossed to and fro. Aren't you sick of just being tossed around? Aren't you sick of losing? Aren't you sick of trying to fight against sin and the battles of this life all on your own? 
you could get some security in Christ. Somebody in here needs salvation. Now, if you're saved, you don't need a new salvation. You just need a new commitment to the one you've already got. You need a, a fresh and a new wonder over the one that you've got. Hey, a, a new commitment. I'm amazed the wonderful salvation we have and how flippantly we treat it. How low we treat it. We sing about being saved and shout about being saved and then take that salvation and trample it through the world as though it has no value. I love that song. Remember it? Well, the old robe was dirty, all tattered and torn. And the new robe was spotless, had never been worn. And the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and... Put on the new. But if we finish the song in reality, you know what we did with the coat next? We took it off and we got to. Now, listen, me and Uriah here, we're wearing the same coat, man. We dressed to match. If I said, Oh, Uriah, our coats match. We look so much alike. <clears throat> I'm going to give you this coat, but before I do, this nice coat made in Vietnam. They do a great job, okay? I've had Vietnamese tailors, so I'm sure they do a great job making, making coats. Say, so I'm going to give this to you. But before I do, I'm just going to get it ready for you. Ready? Hold on, hold on. I'm getting it ready for you before I give it to you, you see. I, I, I'm going to kick it around a little bit, and I'm going to drag it around a little bit. In fact, you know what I'll do? I'll come over here. Let me drag it on his shoes. Let, let, let me get that dust off there for you, brother. Let me run it around here and pick up the dust of every single person that's walked in this church this morning. Let me pick it all up. Make sure and get it good. And I'm getting it ready for you, brother. Right? You ready? I'm getting you a nice coat. I'm just picking up all this dust, all this garbage. Here you go. Clean those boots. Clean those shoes. Here you go. Here you go. But it's not ready yet. I, I think there, there's a full trash can back there. I'm going to take this coat, this nice coat. And I'm going to go shove it in that trash can first to get it ready for you. And I'm going to put my foot in it and I'm going to stomp it down and I'm going to let it soak up all those odors and all the juices from those sinners that don't pour their cups out before they throw them in the trash can. That felt good to say too, amen. Dump your ice out in the sink. Nothing worse than a juicy trash bag. We're going all over the place today. I'm going to let it soak all that up, but it's not done yet. Hey, Brother Robbie, let's attach it to the back of your vehicle and let's drive it all around these roads. And let's just let it scrape against the pavement. And then I'll bring it back to you, son. And you know what I'd have? It wouldn't even be a coat anymore. It'd be a tattered, filthy old garment. Look just as bad as the one I put on before. And let me ask you something. You think this boy would want that? No, he wouldn't. And some of you are wondering. You're praying for people to get saved. You're trying to do a work for God. But this salvation He's giving you, you treat it so flippantly. You drag it around with filthy living and filthy talking and garbage TV and garbage music. Then you walk up to somebody, you want to get saved? Of course they don't. Not if that's all it means to you. See, you don't need a new salvation. You just need to start treating the one you've got the right way. You've forgotten what it did for you. You've forgotten how bad the old coat smelt. How poorly it fit. How harmful it was. Where your family was. Where your marriage was. Where your kids were. Come on, you've forgotten. 
the strength of that cord. His mercy in its simplicity. His mercy in its security. Come on, brethren. Are you saved? If you're not saved, get saved. And if you are saved, why don't you start treating your salvation right?